Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. Only three books in, we kind of move away from the idea of narrative. This whole book is essentially just a list of rules. Rules that will be used as the basis for, you know, Abrahamic religion. But it's all held together by the occasional line of God said to Moses, just to remind us that it is a story. Still, fucking dull though. Strap in. God is speaking from the tabernacle, which is kind of like the Ark of the Covenant, and he immediately asks for a burnt sacrifice. The people around him get a little nervous, eyeing each other and going, uh, oh, what, sorry? How are we doing a burnt sacrifice? God understands that he hasn't yet explained himself, so describes it, starting with which bits of animals you have to wash and which can be ignored, how best to chop up chickens, lambs, etc. God then explains how you burn meat for him, how you fry bread for him, and that he hates the taste of burnt fruit. We now know how to do a burnt offering, kids, which is lucky because a bit later on we will be expected to do a fucking lot of these in order to not get killed. God then goes on to explain how to do a peace offering, a sin offering, and a trespass offering. These four offerings are what the repentance system built on. The preparation of the animals is pretty much the same for all of these. Get a good animal, a strong one that hasn't been fucked, and give it to a priest. The priest will cover it in Frankenstein, flick blood about the place, and dick around with its fat. Now we know how to make these offerings. God explains some of the things that will cause us to need to make these offerings. If you touch a dead animal, or insect, or the uncleanness of man, which... Okay, I thought this was spunk. And it seems childish to suggest that, but based on the heroic amount of time this book is going to be devoting to discussions on spunk, it doesn't seem too outlandish to assume... spunk. So touch any of that, right? Or, if you talk too much smack, you're gonna have to make a trespass offering, which wonderfully includes killing two turtle doves. The turtle doves are getting killed left, right, and centre in this book. Doesn't go into any reason why, and doesn't even have anything to do with the 12 days of Christmas. Although, that is another religious thing, but we'll, we'll get into that much later. We can't really be doing Christmas things before Jesus comes along, can we? Okay, you also have to do a trespass offering if you lie or cheat. First, you undo your lying, then you make a meat offering. A, a meat offering? Where the fuck did meat offerings come from? Is this a new type of offering all of a sudden? Or is this an interchangeable way of saying offering? God, God damn it, you can see why people give up on this bastard, can't you? The book keeps instructing you to burn it with fire, which is handy, and more prohibitions. Essentially, you can't eat any animals that are sacrificial, which is a shame, as I imagine turtle doves taste amazing. 
Oh, and, and don't eat blood. You absolutely cannot and must not eat blood. After that long, tedious opening, we slip briefly into narrative, where Moses, reiterating all these things he has been told and dressing his brother, Aaron, up as a priest. He tells Aaron to do a sin offering and a burnt offering. Now, bearing in mind that we have just taken about a third of this book going into explicit detail on how to make these offerings, do you think the author has decided to A. Assume the reader remembers the details, so leave it as Aaron Dunn made the offering, or B. Does the author think that as this may be the first time Aaron is hearing about this, in order to keep the realism the Bible is going for alive and well, we will have to have the long, tedious process immediately repeated. Of fucking course it's B. But then we're rewarded with a fire appearing by magic. Okay, Moses instructs the sons of Aaron to look at the fire, cover their faces and have a look. God now tells Aaron, hang on, God can speak directly to Aaron. Then why did he tell Moses all about the offerings, only for Moses to repeat all about each and every single bastard word of the offerings? Would it not have made more sense to tell them both at the same time? I'm no god, and I'm certainly not a great one for editing, but do they have to make it so obvious that they have a word count they're trying to hit? Leviticus is full of most of the rules that the Abrahamic religions are based upon. In a minute, we'll come to a long list of things you can't eat, and I promise you there is much to say about spunk and menstruation. That is all to come. Is it possible that this book was intentionally made impenetrable in order to squash any chance of believers, you know, ever reading it? Regardless, after the world of repetition, Moses gets angry at the sons of Aaron because they did it wrong. Not to worry though, that just means we get to go through the offering instructions again. Hooray! After that ordeal, and I think it's fair to say, blew up into a full-blown kerfuffle, Moses gets down to some pretty basic rules. What the people can and cannot eat. A list which is slightly more comprehensive than you may imagine. I know, I totally agree with you. It would have made more sense to describe animals you can and can't eat before describing various sacrificial animals and which bits you eat, but you live and learn. Right then, these animals. You can eat cloven-footed animals that chew the cud, that's fine. But if they have camel-type feet and they chew the cud, that is not okay, and therefore those animals are unclean. Any explanation given for the foot-based hierarchy? No? Oh, good. Well, do go on then. Greg, I suspect you're being more than a little facetious, and there is a slightly more intricate reason for this. It's not like God makes his decisions based exclusively on feet type. Well, my suspicious friend, in an effort to vindicate Mr. Gregory Aikman, God goes on to explicitly point out that, yes, it is the feet that are the important detail. What else can't you eat? Hairs, coley, I, I imagine they're referring to the bland cod-like fish that is surprisingly cheap and we really should eat more often. Shit, only we can't forget that. Pigs are a no. This is spelt out even though I would assume pigs happily fell into the category of cud-chewing animals with toe. To do, do pigs eat cud? One times quick Google search later. No, they don't. They have cloven hooves and don't eat cud. I, I mean, it's fucking specific, isn't it? But pigs are a definite double no-go, as God, well, Moses, specifies them as well as the old foot-grass mud bit at the top. Next, dead bodies. All the unclean animals, yeah? Don't touch their dead bodies. Or eat them, obviously. You can eat anything in the sea that has fins and scales, possibly apart from coatly, 
Then, to strengthen that point, that you can eat anything from the sea with fins and scales, Moses says you can't eat anything from the sea that doesn't have fins and scales. Clear? Good. Birds, don't eat. Eagles, vultures, osprey, kite, all covids, nighthawk, owl, car crow, cormorant, swan, pelican, stork, heron, lapwing, and bat. Sounds extensive, doesn't it? Well, you needn't worry, there are about 10,000 different types of birds, so plenty to be tucking into. Right, any fowl that goes on all fours is an abomination, because God detests lazy chickens, I guess, but you can eat leaping things. Nice. You can eat locusts, beetles, and grasshoppers, but any other flying, creepy thing with four feet is defo abomination. What else? Uh, any animal on all fours with paws is unclean and you can't eat or even be around and touch. Any animal on all fours with paws. You can't pet a puppy. You can't have a dog or cat and give them a friendly little nuzzle. So if you're going around going, excuse me, sir, boop, you are spitting in the face of God. Well, Greg, are there any other animals that you can't eat or touch? Plenty. Weasel, mouse, tortoise, ferret, chameleon, lizard, snail and mole. I shall repeat this list. Listen carefully. Weasel, mouse, tortoise, ferret, chameleon, lizard, snail, mole. I know a lot of this podcast is me reading you a thing and then saying, mad, isn't it? But this is a strange list. It smacks of a man sat on a log, looking around, jotting down what he sees. That's rubbish. That's rubbish. So's that. But where must he be sitting? A really disappointing petting zoo, where the bizarre menagerie is made even worse by the fact that you can't fucking pet any of them. Whatever, just don't touch them. And if any of the animals listed touch good meat, that meat is straight up fucked. Any cup that touches any of the unclean things, or touches cups or bowls that any of the unclean things have touched, fucked. Cup and drink, fucked. You have to destroy anything that touches an unclean thing, but wait, there's more. If an unclean thing hits seeds, then there is no problem whatsoever. However, if the unclean thing hits the seeds after they have been watered, we're going to have a problem. That whole crop is fucked. Think about that practically. If you have a field full of, I, I don't know what people grow, carrots, and one snail touches one of the carrots, which are the seed after it has been watered, then the entire crop is unclean and cannot be eaten and can't be touched. So technically, that field is a write-off. Oh yeah, anything that crawls on its belly, unclean. Probably still bitter about the snake, to be honest. And, and things with too many legs, abomination. I think we can agree with that. Sadly, though, it does not specify what too many legs is. And remember that with the things listed above, do not defile yourself with them. I must be talking about fucking there. I can't be sure, but they must be talking about fucking. I'm sure there are reasons for why you can and can't eat certain things, and furthermore, I bet those reasons are all about the kinds of food you can and can't store. But the book certainly doesn't elaborate on these reasons. It's odd. It almost seems like it was written by two people, or new information came to light during the listing of do's and don'ts. At times, it's really straightforward, and with a slight stretch of credulity, seems sensible. But then, it goes proper left field. Like some guy was happily sitting, listing shit, and all of a sudden, someone calls him. Yeah, hello. Yeah, this, this is Dave. Now, just, just writing the list, mate. Fine, it's... He what? 
And, and you're sure he... Okay. Oh, God damn it. Right, where's my pen and paper? Don't fuck the animals. Having dealt with food, we get a quick lesson on dealing with plague. Essentially, make sure you wash yourself and burn sheets covered in plague. Good sensible ideas at last. It looks like Bible is calming down and getting ready to throw out some sensible, much needed pearls of wisdom. What's up next? Periods and spunk. Oh good. First of all, may I congratulate Moses on coming up with the euphemism a running issue out of his flesh for spunk. But to the rules, any bed that has his spunk on, uh, any bed that has a man's spunk on, not exclusively Moses's spunk, any bed that has any person's spunk on, unclean, both literally, spiritually, and spunkily. Do not touch the spunk-drenched bed, as that will make you unclean. Unpleasant, I know, but presumably, People were running around, spunking on each other in every surface, quickly followed by everyone else, running themselves all over those spunky, spunky surfaces. So if you do get into a spunk-covered bed, you have a seven-day bath, followed by a few of the offerings we've already been taught about. Simple, really, and anyways. And always ensure you have a shower straight after sex, each and every time. So that's spunked out with, time to turn our attention to menstruating women who, to be fair, get a slightly worse deal. Basically, everything she touches is unclean, and anyone who touches her immediately becomes unclean. That's it. Easy. To reiterate, if a woman is on a period or a man is covered in spunk, leave them to it and you'll be grand. After that messy business has been dealt with, God thinks it is time to offer the English language a word that we will keep holding on to for ages. Scapegoat. Here's what you do. Because of those bloody children of Israel going rogue, you have to give all your sins to a goat. You do this by telling the goat about your sins. Not sure how much details you have to go into about the sins as it is, you know a goat, so will have limited understanding at best and very possibly is unaware of the concept of sin. But anyway, once you have told this goat all your worst sins, you want to push him off a mountain. That's right, the goat who has your sins that you did, but will take on all your sins and die for them. This is very much a proto-Jesus. The authors of the Bible clearly had an idea of the Son of God taking on humanity's sins and dying to save them, but weren't sure how that would play. Maybe people would think it was a bit far. Maybe people would think it made little sense. So in order to A, get people used to the idea of your sins being taken care of by not you, and B, see how audiences react to the notion, they start the concept with a goat. And turns out, no one gives a fuck. Everyone is happy for the poor little goaty bastard to one minute think, this is lovely. No idea what they're talking about, but they had a nice chat with me and now, now they're taking me on a smashing walk. Good God almighty, I have never been this high up. And the next minute, hey, hang on, what are you, what are you doing? Guys, I, guys, I thought we were friends. I thought we were no. Oh yeah, before you kill the goat, or indeed anything, whether it's to take your sins or to get inside your belly and be delicious, you have to give some to God, otherwise you are 
cut off, excommunicated immediately. Next up is the narrative. You get the feeling that all the sons of Eren and all the Israelites are starting to feel a bit put out. So many rules, it's so complicated even to just have a snack and you can't even be covered in jeers anymore. The only way they can relax is by looking at various family members naked. That's the only fun left. But no! God has to come along and say, guys, you must not look at the following people naked. Mum, dad, stepmum, sister, grandchild, aunt on either side. Don't you try and get around it that way. Uncle, what about daughter or son-in-laws? No. Right, just family. That would be quicker. Just say, don't look at family naked. If you're related to them by blood or law, you can't have a look at them naked. Oh yeah, and don't have a look at your neighbour's wife either or any woman who is menstruating and do not have sex with men like you have sex with women. Now, I'm not sure whether this is saying don't be gay or if it's saying the sex has to be different. So, one could argue that the people using this bit of Leviticus to justify uh, being homophobic are simply unimaginative sexual creatures. Relax a little bit. We've almost got through this, the most tedious book of the entire Bible. Just a few more rules left. You with me? Good, because we're about to come to some very important rules that are possibly the nicest thing in the entire Bible. When harvesting your crops, leave the corners of the fields. Don't harvest these bits. These are for the poor and for strangers to help themselves to. Also, all your food, all your water, all your booze, you must leave some for the needy. This is one of the direct laws given from God. Whatever you produce, a healthy proportion must go to strangers, poor, needy, the vulnerable. I know they didn't make it. You made it. You did all the work. We know this, but you must do this. We then iterate a lot of the famous Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't hinder the blind or deaf. Again, lovely. Only judge people based on their righteousness, not how rich or poor they are. You can be the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich. If you're a dick, you get called out. Don't hate, don't hold a grudge. I mean, these laws coming direct from the mouth of God. These seem to be the sort of things that people are mocked for saying now, and even the staunch religious amongst us don't really stick to. But as these rules are written side by side with the don't kill, don't be gay, if you believe those are important and true, you must, you must put equal weight on these ones. I know it's been said before, but if homosexuality is violent against God, then these people must also think that wearing clothes made of more than one fabric is reprehensible. It's against God. It's unnatural. That's the very next rule. Amongst rules like look after strangers, we have don't use magic, but don't hunt Wizards, putting a dampener on the whole witch-burning thing, don't eat fruit from a fruit tree for the first three years as it counts as uncircumcised, don't grow more than one thing in a field, don't turn your daughter into a whore. It's a mixed bag is what I'm saying. God then essentially says, if you break these rules, you will be put to death. Oh, and don't ever cut your hair or beard. Priests will not uncover their head or touch dead bodies. Don't marry a whore. And you cannot be a priest, and it is not possible for you to ever get into heaven, if you are any of the following. A dwarf, have a broken foot, a hunch, a blemish in the eye, injured testicles, or scurvy. 
God then thinks that all that stuff about what you can and cannot eat wasn't quite complicated enough, so repeats it, but adds amendments. Sometimes you can eat a pig, but only a fifth of the leg if not cooked near a sunset and loads of weird shit like that, and I think every single religion has said fucking convoluted, even for us this is too much. We get more repetition, more of the Sabbath rules repeated. It is obvious by this stage that there's a lot of short stories smashed together, it's just getting silly. I think everyone has well and truly lost their patience by now. God settles down, saying that if you keep all these rules, not some, all of them, then it's all good in the hood. Everyone will be happy, crops growing left, right and centre, and smiles for miles. But if you do not do exactly what they say you should, then he will fuck you up big time. God will ensure you have to eat your children. He doesn't explain how we will cause this situation, but mark his words. Eat your own children, you will. But he's not a monster, so if you say sorry and proper mean it, you can come back. And that's it. Those are pretty much all the rules. Hopefully we'll get back into the story next time, because I don't know about you, but this week it has been fucking hard for me. This episode I have dragged my heels on because my god it is so dull, but at least we know what all those religious people definitely believe and definitely follow.